Welcome, welcome everyone to the Generosity Freak Show. My name is Tim and I'm joined by Brady and we have got a very special show planned for you today. Yes, we do, Tim. We have Larry Lieberman. He's the COO at Charity Navigator, which is probably the largest charity evaluator organization in the United States. And they're really trying to use data to help donors make smarter decisions about where to give. Uh, so today, kind of in our discussion with Larry, we get into all kinds of stuff about the charitable space. He's got an interesting background. Eh? He, like he, he worked at Comedy Central and he worked for Sir Richard Branson. So it's like kinda, Renaissance Man. Yeah. Renaissance Man, exactly. We get into that a little bit of kind of how he ended up at Charity Navigator. We talk about what they're working on and kind of where they see the future of charity evaluation. And then uh, we dip a little bit into generosity and Larry's personal view. So that's uh, what we got on tap today. Yeah, and I think that this is a really important concept that a lot of organizations are trying to wrestle with. How do we measure impact for our organizations? Is it just about efficiency or is there something more? Let's hear what Larry has to say. Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go. It's just another Freak Show, here we go. I said, welcome to the Freak Show, here we go. It's just another Freak Show, here we go. Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go. It's just another Freak Show, here we go. Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go. It's just another Freak Show, here we go. Hi, Larry. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you taking the time today. So um, you, you've worked for Comedy Central, Social Vibes, Sir Richard Branson's companies. How in the heck did you end up in the philanthropy space? Hey, you know, how, how could I not? Right? You work for people like uh, the folks at Comedy Central, um, who are an incredibly caring bunch. You work around uh, Sir Richard. And uh, honestly, you get raised in the household that I was raised in, where uh, generosity, compassion, um, and a caring for our greater community was part of my upbringing. And what about career-wise? When did you make the kind of career switch over to, to Charity Navigator? What, what kind of prompted that? It's actually, the, the transition took something close to 15 years. So it's not as if, I think for anyone, or certainly not for me, it was not an overnight uh, transition. I've been on the board of directors of the Jed Foundation, which is the nation's largest mental health advocacy group for college students and high school students. Um, and I've been on their board for, for at least 12 years. And it's my work with Jed that I take so seriously that it was easy um, to approach the nonprofit sector uh, as my career because I was as vigorous in the pursuit as a board member uh, as I am now as an employee. What are some of the key differences that you've seen kind of maybe in that transition or kind of from Comedy Central to Charity, Charity Navigator or working more alongside nonprofits now in terms of kind of work and culture, things like that? Uh, sure. I, you know, uh, so many people warned me, uh, you, you, you can't go from the private sector to the nonprofit. You don't understand. Um, and, and the truth is, that we can understand because the focus is different in nonprofits. What's really different? That we keep score differently and we measure impact differently. There's, there's no money to measure success or failure by. Hmm. And that makes measurement particularly challenging. Um, so, so that's really 
the idea of running a business, which every nonprofit is, every nonprofit is a business, and they have to determine their return every year, not by a simple number at the bottom uh, of a spreadsheet, but actually in terms of what they do for their stakeholders and their beneficiaries rather than their stockholders. That's a that's an interesting point, Larry. Actually, I want to drill into that a little bit because I, I read an article recently that suggested that every single enterprise, every single organization is for profit. But there's just a different ways that we actually measure profit. What, what would you say to something like that? And how would you respond in terms of the different ways and the different measures we need to embrace working in the non-for-profit space? Oh, sure. I, you know, every venture... Uh, should be for the benefit of something, right? It's not, I'm not sure I'd call everything for profit, um, but I would call it for the benefit of everything. And and that's really critical because if you're devoting your time to a, a cause area and you're not seeing results, then you have to examine that and say, gee, it, how is this different from working on a venture that, isn't either earning its property or profits or, or accumulating its value or working on a long-term, very future mission that it will get to in time. I think that the truth is evaluating a nonprofit is far more challenging, far more complex than I ever uh, really imagined because there isn't a scorecard every day called revenue and expenses. And so how, how are you solving that challenge? How, how are you creating different measures at Chat, Charity Na- Navigator to be able to measure the impacts of the charitable uh, organization? At Charity Navigator, we're at a, in a fabulous time. We're, this is the most exciting moment, as I see it, in the history of Charity Navigator. We are transforming the organization uh, from one which did an enormous amount of work um, with limited tools and limited data into one that is based on robust technology platforms and will have the capability of evaluating thousands, even tens of thousands of data points for each organization um, so that such time when this kind of data is available, we'll be able to include it in evaluations. While we're kind of talking about evaluation, that's kind of, you know, what you do. Why don't you tell us just a little bit more about kind of how how do you help make donors make smarter decisions with some of the things that you're evaluating kind of currently in terms of your your current methodology? Sure. The the premise of Charity Navigator's mission and purpose is that information can make donors more effective in how they give their money and also the flip side of that, which is by publicly sharing standards for all organizations to, to uh, aim towards, we have the opportunity to actually encourage the organization to ask detailed questions about their, uh, their own operations. But for a consumer, it's really all about information. And at this point, we're breaking it down into three buckets. The traditional charity navigator star rating is based on two very separate uh, indicators. One is a financial score, and the other is really based on management practices, accountability, and transparency. Right? Um, and of course, the sources of, of information uh, at the moment um, are still generally limited 
to uh, publicly posted statements by the organization on their website and elsewhere, and their 990 that they file as a tax return to the government. The third aspect, though, is, is one that we're investing in and concentrating on as well, which is how do we enable charities to tell their story of impact? What is it are they are accomplishing? And this is obviously at the moment uh, far more difficult for any data organization to work with because the data comes in so many different formats. So the stars in Charity Navigator's rating are continue to be based on the financial uh, strength of an organization, the viability of the organization. Um, we take into account uh, our, our metrics that uh, help determine whether or not we think an organization will exist three, five, 10, 50 years from now. Yeah, and one of the we protect the donor. Um, one of the interesting things is kind of seeing how you know you guys have evolved and how you're continuing to to kind of evolve and. Uh, I think some people misunderstand like good management for impact or like, you know, strong financials for impact, like impact itself is such a convoluted, difficult thing as you, as you've mentioned, because an organization could be doing great work, but if they shut their doors in six months, well then like, what's the point, (laughs) you know? So like that has to play a role, but at the same time, if they manage finances, but they're not making a difference, then they're not making an impact. So then who cares how well they manage finances? So it's got to be tricky to balance that. Um, It is enormously tricky. The good news is that at Charity Navigator, we're collaborating with others in the sector to help uh, gather the information and help create evaluation criteria, which at least um, can be vetted by the group and shared with donors. So right now on Charity Navigator, you can find, or the donor will find, impact information that was gathered by global giving, impact information that's being reported to uh, GuideStar, and impact information that's being reported to Classy. So we currently on our site have three additional sources of impact information. Are they incorporated in the star rating? No, not yet. This is, this is a transition period. But we are making available to donors more impact stories than they've ever been able to see before in one place. So, Larry, that leads me to a question that I think is gets at the heart of the challenge that you're up against. I mean, we, we have so many different types of charities that have completely different focuses. Is there is there ever a point you think we'll get to a universal set of standards in, in order to measure the impact of charitable work? Or is it, is it always going to be subjective and a little bit different depending on the specific type of charity and their focus? At this point, I don't think we need to get, we don't need to get there. We don't need to have a single criteria that will evaluate the impact of all organizations, be they international relief organizations or community food banks. I, I, that's, that's not a goal at the moment. Uh, I think the, the existence and, and proliferation of the information is a big deal. And really what we're doing at Charity Navigator is establishing the technology base that will allow us to incorporate the broadest amount of data into our evaluations. So the, the beauty of the technology partners we have uh, is, is that we are building a capability that is agnostic to the source of the data. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's one of the the other unique things, you know, when people 
uh, look at like the for-profit space to the nonprofit space and they try to compare like those international relief organizations to food banks. And even if there are metrics, even if there are impact metrics, like they're totally different businesses. So it goes back to that. We don't have that uniform scorecard, which makes your job, <laughs> you know, really, really difficult. Um, so I want to shift a little bit more towards uh, generosity. This is the, the generosity freak show after all. Um, and, and before we dig into kind of your own views and especially kind of where you think generosity is he- heading, um, how do you define generosity and kind of what does it mean to you? Uh, wow. I, to me, generosity is a spirit that presents itself in the form of deeds and things. It, it's it's uh, an internal uh, emotion that we get to act on in positive ways. Hmm. I like the, the spirit concept and that some that's inside and kind of it's our job to either foster it or pull it out. So how do you think we can grow or foster generosity, whether that's as like a culture or society or a nonprofit or a fundraiser or as a company, you know, how, how can we go about growing generosity or, or maybe before that, is that even a noble pursuit? Is that something that we should be doing? I would certainly say growing generosity is part of the human condition. And that if we don't develop it, um, something will replace it far more detrimental to our, to our health. Hmm. So, um, I think my concern on, on generosity uh, and the teaching of generosity to future generations is the, uh, the misconception among some that philanthropists in America are 60-year-old or older white people. <laughs> right? it, it's, we're way beyond that today. And... Um, Families teach generosity from generation to generation, and it's an important part of how we raise our families. I mean, if I have a concern, it's it, that there's just so little time in most families that the teaching of generosity uh, may get delegated to a religious organization, to school, and, and the most effective um, giving that occurs in this country is, is really that which inclu- is inclusive of many family members, not just an individual at the norm. That's, that's a really good point, Larry. The, the whole idea of generosity training being delegated to different institutions, and really it should take place in every home in America, right? And really across the globe where we're actually training up and raising up the next generation of givers. Um, but that's that's a that's a difficult thing because I think a lot of folks don't really know how to go about doing that. Is there is there some advice that you could offer to people that are listening into this podcast about how they can be creating a culture of generosity at home? Well, I mean, I think a lot of it relates to how schools and homes interact. I think they have to do a lot with how. Um, what we teach in school today needs to evolve to keep up with the 21st century lifestyle. We are fortunate in this country to have this movement of social and emotional learning. And there are marvelous curriculum providers like, like Better World Ed, as an example. Better World Ed provides teaching materials uh, to teachers all around the country, even around the world, that teach empathy along with curriculum. And weaving the two together helps breed um, and raise more compassionate people. The evidence shows. So we're, 
we're at a point now where we're, we have to collectively work to understand the, the social and emotional learning components of education and how critical it is because mental health was once an issue barely spoken about in this country. And, and it's now a crisis that uh, could derail things um, and it causes millions of people to suffer. You bring up empathy, which is interesting. I, I sometimes wonder if empathy is dying in our world today with the political climate and people becoming more and more entrenched on either side of an issue. How do we foster more of this compassionate um, understanding of other people, their situation, their place in life, and see that as an opportunity to, to help and to get involved? I mean, how do we yeah, foster a, that? It's a great issue. Right? And there's a duality of America right now that is contributing to some sort of undercurrent of this idea that there's good giving and bad giving or good people to give to and bad people to give to. And that's, that's obviously not really the case. You, you, you know, the definition of generosity is that it's an opportunity, right? And generosity is an opportunity for all of us to pay back our communities for the good favor that we all have received. And one of the greatest things about American philanthropy is that we get to define community in the broadest of manner. It could be the entire global community. It could be as narrow as your church congregation. It could be the city you live in. But we, we have to understand that, that generosity isn't a weapon. It's an opportunity. I absolutely love that, Larry. Generosity is an opportunity. And what's what's interesting is that you said it doesn't it's not that there's good people to give to and bad people to give to or good issues and bad issues. What we really care about and what I think I'm hearing you care about is that people giving is our cause. We're trying to inspire more people to look past their own needs, wants, and desires and look to meet the needs and desires of other people. And I think that that's what a, what a beautiful opportunity it is. Okay. Can't agree more. And the the other kind of thing, and it kind of relates to the work you do at Charity Navigator, is um, there there can be a temptation of like, well, I won't give because I don't know if this is the best, you know, organization to give to. So instead of it like black and white, good and bad, the vast majority is good, and there's maybe just like shades of good, but people confuse charity scams with maybe like less impactful organizations, and then it. Dep- depresses giving kind of all the way across the board. So where do you think this desire to like, I, I have to do great giving comes from? And is that, a, is that a good thing? Or how do we get away from this kind of, I don't want to be a bad giver, therefore I don't give. And if people don't give, they're not helping and they're not learning how to give. So how do we kind of, you know, foster good giving without kind of, you know, shaming people if they do it wrong? <laughs> right. uh, at Charity Navigator, we try and frame giving using the words more typical of investing. When a donor gives their money and a volunteer gives their time, they are making an investment in the future as much as they are when they give money to a 501k or any other retirement fund. Right? So we, it, what we try and do is encourage 
donors to look at their donations as investments in their community. And if someone were to call you up, a stranger was to call you up on a, and ask you for money for a car or ask you for, to make an investment in your 501k, you'd ask a lot of questions. You should do the same with giving. You need to give where you have a personal connection. You need to evaluate the places you give, just like it was an investment before your retirement. And maybe that's a practical thing, too, that you can give our listeners. What are some of the questions they should be asking before they give a gift? Like, what are some of the most important issues? Um, The most important thing um, that I always put at the top of the list is that a donor uh, should have a connection to the cause area that they're giving to. Because the same way an investor is, is looking at things that make sense to them in their portfolio, a donor should be able to look at the places that they're giving and feel a personal connection that this is something um, that's, that's truly really important for them. Um, the second aspect of it is really to research the places that you're giving to, right? And make sure the, you have been to their website. You may have even seen them in person in places um, and, and get a chance to know the mission of the organization and have any questions you want answered uh, explained to you. That's excellent. That, that's one of the, the things that we've discovered through our testing and research is that there's one question and if every charity can answer this one question more effectively, they will find that they'll inspire greater giving from their communities. That question is this, if I'm your ideal donor, why should I give to you rather than some other organization or not at all? And what we've found is that the way that an organization answers that one question will articulate their value proposition. And the idea of value proposition being a very, uh, common concept in the for-profit space oftentimes is is kind of a a baffling concept in the not-for-profit space. But what I heard you say earlier is that one of the things that you're trying to do is give donors a new vocabulary, a new vernacular to be able to describe impacts and to understand value that's created within these charities. Um, That's absolutely right. What's what's the... um, What's been the challenge or some of the feedback that you've seen from some of the users of Charity Navigator? And, and you know, how are you using that to uh, innovate and evolve the, the products? Sure. I mean, uh, one of the key actions that we're working on cultivating and informing donors of is the communication after your gift. Right. It's it's just as important the research you do before and the research and evaluation results you get afterwards are equally important. You want to make sure that your investment in philanthropy uh, is yielding results and they don't always yield the results you expected, sometimes more, sometimes less. But the reality is we go out of our way at Charity Navigator to encourage donors to maintain contact with an organization, to subscribe to newsletters, to visit websites over and over again, to follow them in social media, because it's that connection that helps an organization explain the long-term and ongoing success that they're having. 
Yeah, that's that's fantastic uh, advice. And that's where a lot of people kind of stop short is it, it ends with kind of, you know, here's why we need your money, we get your money, and then kind of it ends. <laughs> so one of the tips I say to people all the time, if you're interested in, a, in an organization, make a small donation and just see what happens for three months. Do they thank you? Do you get communication? Do, do they seem like they really care? Do they seem like that? Because if they don't give you communication, your experience as a donor is going to suck. And then you're going to be less generous and ticked off. And that's good for no one. So I, I think that kind of approach, and it also then kind of rewards charities who do that well. You know, we've seen this rise of really kind of hyper transparent, um, heavy reporting organizations like Charity Water or new school uh, kind of focus in terms of here's exactly where your money goes and donors love it because that's what they're in it for. Right. And so that, that follow-up communication is, is key. It can't just be about the gift. It's gotta be about what follows afterwards. Exactly. Exactly. And, and what we do and it helps in this vernacular we're talking about is there are very few people who will buy a stock and then ignore it for the rest of their life. <laughs> you make an investment in a company, you follow that investment. You make an investment in a in a in a cause, follow that investment. Do you think there is a type of of giving that isn't um you know doesn't doesn't warrant that? You know, like if my friend is doing a walk run, that's a classic example where I will give to that organization, but really it's just, you know, just my friend. Do you think that's bad that I'm like not doing research and I don't, I don't actually follow because I don't really care. I care about my friend who cares. Do you think that's a bad thing, a good thing? Does it matter? Uh, it's a great thing. It's actually a great thing. And uh, it's, it's sort of uh, inside baseball a little bit, but we talk about intentional philanthropy, which is the philanthropy we research and actively get engaged with and are considering the, the manner in which we give, the, the frequency with which we give, signing up for recurring monthly gifts. And then there's social giving, which is just as powerful in this country. And it is perfectly okay to give to a highly reputable organization just because your friend is running a marathon and that's the cause they're devoted to. That's what helps. It helps build communities. It helps build empathy. Because I may not know anyone with a disease that this person is supporting, for example, but he does. And that's part of our bond as a community. Awesome. So as you look out, maybe, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, how do you see the, the landscape or the generosity landscape shifting or, or changing? That's a great question. Um, I, the changes in the generosity landscape uh, will be dictated, I believe, by technology and information. Right? We, have, we have a saying around Charity Navigator, uh, we help you with causes you believe in by providing you with data you can trust. Our parents didn't ask for data. This next generation is asking for more than, than most organizations are even able to provide. So where are we going 20 years from now? We're going to an, uh, an environment where uh, technology is, an advanced technology is pervasive in the nonprofit sector, where that technology is being used to gather data in real time and to an analyze the data over time so that giving can be to causes you believe in based on data you can trust. And do you think there's any uh, potential downside of being too 
data heavy? Like, can, can we suffer from having too much information or will that suck kind of the life out of things? It's an interesting balance. It's not that there's too much data. It's how it's presented. Mm, um, for example, you know, we're a year past Hurricane Harvey and Charity Navigator has just released our study of how nonprofits responded to the storm and mm. what they did. And in a, just a handful of pages, we've created uh, a summary with both great detail and also some just overarching facts. But it, it's presented in a manner so that any reader can look at it and say, wow, okay, uh, I, I see what, I, what I'm supporting here. And that's a big deal because information not only is used to guide the actions of nonprofits and the actions of donors, but you know, let's let's understand that it is the news that drives as much giving as anything else. And when a topic is being spoken about, be it in social media or traditional media, that's the power to drive an enormous amount of action. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we could, you know, sit here and chat generosity and future and giving, you know, all day. But I know, I know you got to get going. You've been generous with your time. Uh, before you go, where, where can people find out more about you and, and the work that you're up to? Uh, sure. So personally, I've got a website called LiebermanLarry.com. People can, can view uh, the things I post there. Um, I'm very active uh, in LinkedIn and Twitter and people can, can keep an eye on things there. I also, of course, encourage people to follow um, the evolution and advancements of work being done at Charity Navigator on our site and on our social media. Awesome. Well, Larry, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Larry. I know I did, and we could have probably chatted for hours. Uh, Tim, what kind of stood out to you about that conversation or just you know this, this conversation in general about charity evaluation? I think what's interesting is that it's going to be very difficult to come up with one metric that is going to be able to quantify impact for every different organization. I mean, every different organization has completely different mission, focus, cause, and to try to boil that all down to one number, I think is hard. And I think that Larry hinted to that. He said, look, we need to have a different set of criterion that we can use for differing organizations. So it'll be interesting to see how they they tackle that challenge in the future. Yeah. And it almost feels like we need to kind of um, unwork some of the damage that we've done under this pursuit of evaluation over the past, you know, maybe three decades, where it really started about financial ratios, like completely, that was it. (laughs) And it started us down this whole path that I think is just wrong. You know, if you listen to, you know, Dan Pallotta and all that thing, but just like without impact, the rest means nothing. But it's so heavily ingrained in these rating systems. It's almost like we have to kind of like blow them up and start over again, you know, cause we're, we're just, we're too far down the wrong path. So I don't know how we kind of unwork it to get on a better path, you know? Well, it's going to certainly take some work. I mean, the, I think the reason why we were using efficiency metrics is because every nonprofit organization or at least 501c3s are required by law to file their 990 reports. And so all of that data is publicly available and it is in a standardized format. I mean, the IRS really dictates how that information is received and everybody has the same set of criterion. And I think that that probably was the starting point because it was the easiest and most yeah. readily available data. Right. Yeah, it's, it's funny. In, in, uh, I actually wrote my master's thesis 
on uh, competition in the nonprofit sector. And I used financial ratios and efficiency metrics as like a key component of this kind of matrix that I created. And I like, I'm embarrassed about it now, but like, you know, that that's what was being taught and preached like the highest levels of this is how you have to compete and how charities are evaluated. And whether we like it or not, there's tons of donors that still ask for that stuff. So how do, how do right. charities or fundraisers or nonprofits kind of not just shame their donors and be like, you're dumb. That's the wrong question. Like how do they, you know, shape the conversation? Well, I, I think the heart behind what, has been done up to this point is good. I mean, we right. want to create more informed donors. We want to be able to give people uh, a sense of, of confidence and trust that when they invest their dollars in our organization, we are going to deliver value to that donor. I think the key is to begin to understand from the donor's point of view how they define value. And I think that this is where a lot of the innovation is going to come from. We're going to have to really humble ourselves as organizations. Mm. And instead of trying to dictate that to our donors, I think we need to really actually listen to what their perspective is and what they really care about. Right, right. Yeah, and I think there's an opportunity for all kind of organizations and fundraisers when that question comes up to not just say, oh, you know, our ratio is 80% or 85% and move on. To actually, when the donor is interested and engaged and, you know, they're coming from a good spot, engage in the conversation and, and kind of share from the nonprofit's perspective, you know, the need for things like overhead and like be in the conversation. I think that's that's the tough thing, too. So many nonprofits kind of just, you know, they brag how we only spend, you know, 2% on fundraising and overhead. And so then, you know, they're preaching and reinforcing this, which is bad for everyone. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's a very... It's a silly argument. I mean, I always use this example, say, like, let's pretend we have two organizations. There's one that has an annual budget of a million dollars a year, and it's 99% efficient, meaning that 99 cents out of every dollar goes to the program or to the cause, right? Um, And let's pretend that we also have a $100 million a year organization with a 50% efficiency ratio, which means 50 cents out of every dollar actually goes to the program costs. Which organization is delivering more value into the marketplace? Which organization is, is, is making a bigger impact on our world? I mean, it's, right. it's easy to see that $50 million beats 999,000 every day yeah. of the week. Mm-hmm. But you know, this, this uh, argument continues. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it, it, it makes its way into the fundraising marketing side too, where we focus on you know, percentage as opposed to net, which is the same type of, of argument, right? How many costs per dollar raise as opposed to net dollar raise. And that dramatically shapes things like innovation, right? If you're focusing on squeezing, you know, one penny in and, you know, 10 pennies back, it's tough to take risks. It's tough to invest. Whereas if you're focused on net, it's a lot easier to make that argument as opposed to efficiency. So, you know, this whole conversation is interesting to donors, but uh, I've said before, I think this is one of the most critical conversations for our entire sector and partly why we are where we are in terms of not really being able to grow is this hyper focus on the kind of wrong metrics or efficiency. So I'm glad that there's people like Larry, uh, you know, working at Charity Navigator to move this conversation forward. I'm excited to see where it goes as more and more donors are asking these questions. We have more data collection tools and you know, younger generations and digital, like I'm really curious and excited to kind of see where this goes. And, you know, hopefully we can play a play a role in that in some small way. That's gonna be exciting for sure. Cool. Well, that's it uh, for today's episode. Uh, If you want to check out this episode, all episodes, uh, you can find that at the Generosity Freak Show. 
wherever you get your pods. So Apple iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, wherever you get them. If you have questions for us or guest suggestion or you disagree with something, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at podcast at next after. And Tim, uh, what do we got coming up here soon? Well, with uh, Neo behind us, it's all about year-end fundraising. So we've got some webinars coming up and some training that we're developing around how to run an effective email year-end fundraising campaign. So there's a lot to look forward to. It's going to be a busy season for sure, but we're really looking forward to uh, having more of these podcast conversations as well. Awesome. Well, thanks again for listening and see y'all next week. Thanks again for listening to the Generosity Freak Show. If you want to get all of our future episodes, be sure to subscribe. You can do so at thegenerositypreakshow.com or you can just search The Generosity Freak Show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. So if you have any comments, questions, feedback, suggestions, anything, we'd love to, to hear from you. So please email us at podcast at nextafter.com. This show, The Generosity Freak Show, is produced by Next After, where I work. Next After is an online fundraising research lab that works with nonprofits to help them grow their online fundraising. And our mission is to unleash the most generous generation in the history of the world. You can learn more about us, what we're up to, and get all of our latest research at nextafter.com. Lastly, this show would not be possible without my co-host and boss, Tim Kachuriak, or the amazing mixologist and producer, Nathan Hill. So many, many thanks to them. And thanks again to you for listening. Hope to see you next week.